My name is Brianna Reese, and I'm the student director of the Arlington Spectre Center. Today we'll be talking about Roe v. Wade, and at this time I will turn it over to the director of the Spectre Center, Evan Lee. Thank you. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, the subject of today's uh, talk is going to be on the future of Roe versus Wade, especially in light of the fact that we have a new president who's going to be making uh, at least warnings already done and possibly more appointments to the Supreme Court. Before we get into discussion of the various different fears and what may or may not happen, I think it's best, we all know the name Roe versus Wade, but we may not know what it decided. So what came to the court was whether or not um, a woman had the right to uh, choose, not that she wants an abortion, the right to choose. Um, the court ruled that under privacy rights, which is a mixture of First Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, and Fourth Amendment, that a woman has control over her own body in certain circumstances. And what the court did is two things that I think are very, very important. We're gonna have to gonna throw that in there for later discussion. Justice Blackman wrote the majority opinion, so that's the law, the majority opinion. And in that, he rejected a fetal right to life argument. So that's critical. And may have significant effect that you don't even are thinking about now, which we'll talk about later. Then they went on to say there's a three trimester situation. And in the first trimester, 13 weeks, the woman's right to have choose whether she wants to continue a pregnancy or not is between her and a doctor and the state is not involved, period. In the second trimester, which is up to 26, 27 weeks, uh, it wasn't without regulation. The state can regulate, but could only regulate in the interest of the mother's health. No regulations in the first 13 weeks, the next 13, 14 weeks. It can regulate, but again, only in the interest of the mother's health. The last trimester, unless the mother's life was on the line, then the state interest in preserving life would take greater um, rights over the mother's rights. So essentially, you had, for the first two, tri two trimesters, um, the ability to, to choose to end the pregnancy without the state interference. That's the way it was. It changed a bit later on in the Planned Parenthood case, Planned Parenthood versus uh, Southern Eastern Pennsylvania, which was a Pennsylvania case. And they sort of fudged it, which has led to all of these problems we're having now. So there's a lot of issues out there, 20 weeks, whether, uh, whether or not it could be regulated beyond that. And it gave a very difficult standard, other than what I just already said, stating, I'll read it for you, that uh, place an undue burden on the person, uh, that the state could not put an undue burden on the individual requesting abortion. Now, what the heck is undue burden? I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, and it, it left it open. Where the line is drawn, no one really had a good feel after, after that. The way it's been looked at up to this present point is still looking at the trimester thing. First trimester, nobody uh, can say you can't have it, although there's some states who require um, various different types of invasive ultrasounds, various types of education. Watch your video. We have to look at dead fetuses. You know, and I just want to say for this, and I'll throw it open, because most people don't get this. Just because the Supreme Court says something, it doesn't mean you can't not do something else. The state can totally ignore 
what the Supreme Court wants. The Supreme Court doesn't have a police force to send out to arrest people for violence. The way it happens is, is that, for example, state may say you need an intrauterine ultrasound before you decide to go to the first trimester abortion. Now, under Roe versus Wade, no, it's supposed to be unfettered. That's fettered. But they don't have the police to come out and arrest you. So the way it's handled is, is people such as the ACLU or Planned Parenthood or different uh, interest organizations hire attorneys, and they challenge that rule as being unconstitutional. When it goes finally, could be several years, against the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court can knock that down and say that law is unconstitutional. Nobody goes to jail in the state legislatures for violating the Supreme Court. And that law that they passed is off the books. But that doesn't stop them, like Texas does all the time, from writing a new law. And then it could go up the ladder again. So most people say, oh, it's unconstitutional. You can't do that. Well, legally, yes, but who's going to stop you? So that's what's going down now. A lot of states are pushing the envelope on what they can do as far as education, ultrasounds, so forth. And even saying, after 20 weeks, we're going to make it illegal. We're going to arrest people for doing it uh, after 20 weeks, which, again, is against Roe versus Wade. But so what has to be challenged? So where we are right now is we have a majority of justices right now uh, who are still in favor of Roe versus Wade because we have a 4-4, uh, so we can't have it over, it can't be overturned on a 4-4. But it's actually right now it's more of a 5-3, and the person that we're going to be replacing, we're replacing Scalia. Scalia was against pro-choice, so if Trump, when Trump gets around, his his pick is uh, ultimately approved, it will still be the same as it was when Scalia was there. So that will be the 5-4. So Roe versus Wade is safe, even with the new pick. The problem is, is there's a lot of old Supreme Court justices, especially with Faith Ginsburg, who is very strong pro-choice. If she dies and becomes incapacitated, that will flip it. And then there may be significant changes. So what I'd like to do is throw it to the panel uh, and introduce ourselves, uh, and then go into our fears, questions, and so forth on what may be happening in the future. So I go to my right. I'm Nini Rao, I'm assistant professor of chemistry and math. Hi, I'm Megan Bowler. I'm a visitor from Thomas Jefferson University. Hi, I'm Barbara Kimmelman. I'm a professor of history and the academic dean for the College of Science, Health, and Liberal Arts, and I'm also an historian of science. I'm Brian Hughes. I'm a visiting assistant professor in the physics. Abigail, I'm a visitor. I have a background in mathematics, but I'm a military veteran. Hi, I'm Kenya, and I'm a student here at Philly. I'm Brianna, again. <laughs> um, I'm the student director of the Arlen Spectre Center, and I'm also a senior at Lawn Society major. So I throw it to the panel uh, on just questions, fears, assumptions that may be coming forward. Hopefully I can handle and maybe somebody else as well. So anyone would like to pose first a question or I'll put it out if nobody wants it. Okay. This is what I hear. If the Supreme Court turns, which it might, very realistic possibility, Roe versus Wade is overruled. I live in Pennsylvania and 
since the states have the right to make their own laws to give more rights to its citizens, will be protected because we have a, uh, a democratic uh, governor. Um, Jersey has a democratic legislature, has a Republican governor since then. Thank God. But um, that may, whether or not that is right, will be the same PA. But if you're in PA, I'm safe. Do, do, do you have that general feeling? Yeah, I hear a lot of people say um, that it's, well, I know that we've talked about in class too, just like state regulations, but um, I know even like my own peers, like who are my age and stuff, especially after Trump was elected, um, a lot of people were fearful in the overturn of Roe v. Roe v. Wade, but like, like we were talking about before, most people don't really even know what the decision actually is. So I know that a lot of people kind of were just like, oh, you know what, like nothing's gonna happen, we don't really have to worry about it, it's always gonna be regulated abortions, we're not gonna go back in time, but it's kind of, now it's kind of like a slap in the face, I think that there should, we should be worried about this. Another point to be made in a way, people are gonna be relying on their state to protect their rights. Um, traditionally, when it comes to basic civil rights, human rights, we have had to rely on the federal government's legislation to provide it. We're talking about voting rights, we're talking about freed slaves in the South after the Civil War, we're talking about, um, you know, women voting. It's kind of similar, you know, people may not know that, you know, women in 1919, I believe, got voting rights universally in federal elections. There were state by state, out west, people don't necessarily know this, there were so few women in those states, they allowed women to vote. They hoped it would drag women to come. So like Wyoming you know, and Montana probably had women voting well before that. But then women were, you know, other states, and you know, but they couldn't vote in federal elections either. Generally, it's the federal government that has looked out, not always because it wanted to, but dragged kicking and screaming by protests and social movements to protect universally people's rights. So if it does go back to a state by state, that actually is a step back. And I think if we recognize what happened in this past presidential and you know, congressional elections, things can turn on a dime. And things that you don't expect can happen politically. And you, know, you can be in a state where there are these protections, and then two years from now, they're gone. And this is what used to happen routinely, was women would leave one state to go to another. You couldn't have the abortion in this state, so you traveled to another state, or another country. And that, and that suggests one thing, what you brought up before we started, the economics of it. Yes. Because even if, it's, if I'm safe in PA, well, if I'm living in Jersey, I could travel into PA, I could stay overnight, whatever it requires, which is expensive. It's expensive. So what does that mean, is that people who can't afford are not going to be able to get. And to say if you don't have a state that's next to you, if you have to travel, travel even states, further, yeah. that's even more expensive. So what you're doing is creating a system where a class divide on civil rights. Which so when people say, I'm gonna be okay because Pennsylvania or Jersey or New York, California, but I guarantee you those rights will stay there. <laughs> but that's not true because if you live in Kansas, you're gonna have to travel to California or so it creates a, a class divide which can't be healthy for the country. And then there's also issues of safety. You know, um, in, in safe, if they can't, you know, so you're in a state where you have to travel a long distance for an abortion, and 
the wealthy women in that state will find a way to have a safe abortion, whether it's by traveling to California or by paying a doctor a lot of money who will then be willing to do it. Um, and, and poor women won't be able to do that. They simply won't have well, What did they do in the past? The story oh, my God, what did people do in the past? I mean, it depends on how far past you want to go. People did, you know, middle, a friend of mine in college uh, became pregnant. It wasn't, I, I don't know whether, because it wasn't legal. It was, it was New York State in 1970-something. Um, and she did go out of the country. She was from a wealthy middle-class family. I don't know if her parents helped her. I wasn't you know, that close with the family. I don't know if they helped her. Um, but my grandmother had an abortion. She bore five children. She miscarried two. And she had one abortion. How many pregnancies is that? I don't know, nine? You know? She did have an abortion. I have no idea how it was accomplished, but people used to do it sticking coat hangers up through the um, cervix, mm -hmm. hoping to damage the fetus, damage the uh, placenta, you know, having a spontaneous abortion. Cost drinking, you know, like applying caustic or, or poisonous things intravaginally, or being suckered by, you know, quacks who would sell you potions that would make the baby go away immerse yourself in scalding hot baths for two days or something to see if, you know, it could, you know, kill the fetus in it. And, um, you know, and people think a lot of the time about women sneaking around and doing this behind their husband's backs, but very often, especially if we're talking about economically, mm -hmm. the husband was complicit in this. We have six kids. I don't have a job. I mean, people, I mean, if you go back far enough in history, um, you know, men would try to beat these babies out of their women. You know, and, and have an abor abortion via beating around the stomach and, and, and lower part of the body, just to see if that could produce. And, and, and half the time, the wife was complicit in that. They couldn't figure out how to end this pregnancy, so come on, beat, beat me, and see if we can kill this baby. Unless I'm not interested in economic reasons, and we can't afford the baby, sometimes the mothers illness, they have TB or whatever it may be, so the health of the mother uh, couldn't withstand the people with heart conditions, um, all kinds of problems, or the baby was sick. Whatever. So there's so many reasons to have determination, and people will find that either if they can afford it or do what you said, which often led to horrific, horrific medical infections. Infertility or death, often. Are missing the point when they're doing legislation? 
as in they are focusing on, oh, we want, it's almost like ideology. We want the life to continue, but not so much as in, can we take a look at the picture? You know, what is healthy? I feel like there's a certain kind of irony because it often gets framed as a moral question, but the morality is seen as attached to that issue of the fetus's life, and none of, as you say, the bigger picture questions are seen as moral questions, like the quality of life for that individual who's born, right. or the quality of life for the, the mother of the existing family, the context. So it is this sort of strange, strangely focused moral question yeah. that is blind to the broader context. Economic inequity is not considered immoral in this country. It simply is not. It, 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 it might be acknowledged as a problem, but it's not immoral. So, I ask a uh, fashion merchandise student, uh, your fellow students after the election, have they talked about this issue? Obviously, you're interested, you're here today. But have you heard any information from them or talk about fear of what may happen? Well, not so much as in fear, but in terms of like this generation, there's a lot of young people getting pregnant. So the question is, is it moral not for them to get an abortion, and what would be the reasons? So, I mean, my opinion, I feel like sometimes you see people just having sex, unprotected sex, knowing that, and then with the consequences of getting pregnant, they're like, oh, my mom or dad will pay for the abortion. So that's when they continue to think it's okay. Like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this, but I'm going to continue to make my mistakes and continue to apply abortion after abortion. It's just like, is that morally correct or not? Or should there be a change about that? Because, in my opinion, I don't think it's okay. I think what you bring up is a very important point. This has to do with education as well, uh, moral education. And we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago here on how when we had a sexual assault Round table. How little education you folks are getting about sex, about dealing with those kind of issues, those moral issues, they should be, they should be dealt with. And the best, best type way to avoid unwanted pregnancies is to use birth control <laughs> and to get um, education on birth control. You could avoid all these moral issues, but that that's something. So <laughs> that, that's tagged as a moral issue. Yeah, that's a moral issue too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, this, this series is called, is called Let's Bloody Talk, okay? It's we're talking about this whole, um, basically women's reproductive system and, you know, physi physiologically, social um, uh, affects and whatnot. But the fact that we are not even, especially in today's um, society, seems like talking about sex education, talking about reproductive rights is considered a taboo. It, it is not right. And because of that, we are not allowing the next generation, the generation after you guys, the knowledge of how to protect themselves in many ways in today's society. I think everyone sitting at this table, whether you're for choice or not, none of us like abortion. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's nothing should anybody wants first choice. Right, nobody <laughs> likes it, nobody, you know, but the question is having a right, whether it's something that's, that we like, the question is whether yeah. people have the right to make their own choices on this, and that's the issue. But we wouldn't even be getting to those issues if we actually 
had proper education, well, the great had proper conversations. The great irony is that the very same people who want to deny access to abortion are the people who want to contract accessibility to birth control and education, and education about it. Well, so we're, yeah. I think what that is, is that there's this idea that family planning itself, the entire spectrum of it, birth control, abortions, all of it, is actually immoral. That, that there is a greater power that is controlling yeah. okay. families and pregnancy, and so the entire spectrum is immoral. You know, any type of family planning by an individual is trying to be part of the creation of life and that should not be in a person's hands. That is in the higher power. That's in the higher power. And so it's hard to have those conversations that seem contradictory when really that's where I think the base of that argument is, is that family planning just is the entire thing. We should not be planning families. And, and so it's hard to have a conversation about it when they're just against the entire idea. That's interesting though, because what if the goal is pro human procreation, if the goal is the the flowering of life wherever it can be, then why must it be restricted to marriage? Yeah, it's perfectly fine not to have children, as long as you're not having sex and not married. But if you're married, you must have sex, and you must have the children that are the consequence. But if you, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You must have sex and you must have children. Health, economics, not 
you may not be physically or mentally ready. Um, and that would make a, that's a very important thing if you're 17, 18, or even 25 and immature. Giving you a baby is not good for you, it's not good for the baby, and it's not good for the world that's going to have to deal with that kid. So there are many, many ways is that what you said happens, and that's very irresponsible. But that's not the narrative. That, that gets painted by people who are against choice. So, oh, if people just really know they get it, but there's many, many stories and many reasons why people get it. Most of them are very sad. Most of them are, are out of desperation, health, for, for a variety of, of horrible things, abusive relationships that they're in, bad relationships that they're in. They're, there's a million different, I can't even get into it, but you're right, but that's not the only narrative. There are some cases where women have an abortion because they're afraid of what their husbands or, or partners will do if they turn up pregnant. And again, these are anecdotal things. I'm not saying 80% of the cases, you know, these are anecdotal. But, you know, there's, I had a laugh when I read the privacy issue. You get pregnant, three months, Four months, there ain't no privacy. Everybody knows you're pregnant. It's not a private condition. Whereas the father walking down the street is equally complicit in the creation of his child, and that's a total secret. And if, if he chooses to you walk. Know, yeah. And 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 the thing and the, the point is, you know, many women are fearful, very fearful, of what their parents will do to them if they turn up pregnant, what their husbands or, or partners will do if they turn up pregnant. And it horrifies me that that is a reason to have an abortion. But you know, an abortion in the first trimester is the only way to prevent people from figuring this out. If the woman walks away from the baby's mother, that's right. if the husband or the father walks away from the baby, the worst they try to do is garnish his wages and make a find them. Yeah. You know, so it, it's the way, it's more, it's more complicated yeah. than you think. And one of the things that, you know, just to tie into a little side, uh, side comment about ACA is that pregnancy used to be a pre-existing pre condition. <laughs> Under ACA, it's no longer the case. So that, what, what that means is pregnancy is defective. Basically, labeling a woman defective. We celebrate life, but if you're pregnant, we won't cover you exactly. because it's a so pre-existing condition. They will not condition. pay for the care, or uh, we're not even touching what happens after just the fact that you take care of the pregnancy itself, the insurance companies are worried. And if two or three nights stay in a hospital delivery, what's that up to, like $20,000, $30,000? Okay, well, so the Jefferson person here. It's, I just know it from my sister's experience, easily. Yeah. yeah, so, wow, you got $30,000, anyone here? Just a, it, it, that's a lot of money. Uh, so the state thing is, it isn't so, oh, we're protected in PA because there's a lot of issues that come with this, as we explained. Now I'm going to tell you why you should be scared. Okay? Because <laughs> what the, way, the way it works, now assuming Ruth Bader Ginsburg stays alive for the next few years, then nothing changes. <clears throat> or it could be less. We don't know. Day to day, right at this very moment, things are happening. But if it goes four years or more, this current presidency, you're going to have a court that favors to overrule Roe right. Now, if they overrule it on the privacy issues, then the state stays the same. The states have the ability to give their citizens more rights because they're balancing the rights of the mother, who's a citizen, and the fetus, or whatever you want to call it, is not. 
However, and that's why I read to you at the beginning, Judge Wackler did not say a fetal, uh, fetus is a life in vain. If they rule that a fetus is a life in vain, and there are movements among the right wing legal community that have been trying to get this personhood stuff, what personhood laws are is the moment you are, the egg is fertilized then you are life entitled to all of the civil rights, legal rights, and protections of any other citizen of the United States. So then, instead of weighing what you're doing now, if they overruled it, which is on privacy, mother's a citizen, Venus is not, mother's rights <coughs> triumph, and this way the state can give more rights to its citizen over a non-citizen. But if the fetus gains equal rights as the mother, then the state cannot, cannot take away the rights of that citizen. So you can give more rights to a citizen, but you can't, as a state, take away rights from a citizen. So then you have citizen and citizen, mommy and baby, and as a result, abortion would be murdered. And abortion would disappear completely, as with most forms of birth control, by the way. Oh, well, legal, legal abortions would, would disappear. That's a good point, though. The right. sort of little historical horror story I gave earlier was that so, illegal abortions will never disappear. I, I noticed a change in the room when I said that, so I just wanted to know what was your reaction to, to that. Is, um, we're not going to be the first argument that the fetus, the unborn child, is a, a citizen entitled to all the... So, what, so, so the, the, my point is that in these countries, you know, I've, it's anecdotal, but women commit suicide. They kept the baby to term, and the, the mother just committed suicide right after the baby was born. So, who's right? You know, is the baby, so the, the, the baby basically effectively left without a mother. And in that, so it's human. What a strange relationship to establish between the mother and the child, to force the mother to have the child. Yeah. Well, I think that argument, it, it really bothers me, the whole personhood of the fetus, because even if you have two people, you're still talking body autonomy of one citizen, and you're holding that citizen hostage for nine months or however long their pregnancy is, and there is no other, that I can think of, case in which that would be okay. Two free citizens, but for the sake of one, you can force the other to give up body autonomy for any period of time. Giving blood, you know, donating extraneous organs, you know, even your dead body has more body autonomy than that. So even if the fetus does get personhood, I just, I just don't see how they can justify holding someone hostage in their own body for nine months. I know that they will, but it just it doesn't make sense to me. Look at the complications. When I was in preclampsia, uh, baby's got to come out, otherwise the mother's going to die. Now, what situation? What do you What do you do? Uh, whose rights? I won't use the words. It's also good take. Overrule <laughs> the rights of mothers. How do you How do you even make that decision? Right. There were when I mean when I was in China, like babies. My mom was, uh, my, my 
delivery ward was the father would be like, there's a physical difficulty, the doctor would come out and say, okay, you have to make a decision, the mother or the child. Mm -hmm. To the father, okay? Wow, what yeah. a crazy theory. And, and, and a lot of times, and then you have to understand that culturally in China, that if you have a son, during the time where you can only have one child, you can have a son. It is the best thing that the, the, fact, the entire family can hope for. But if you have to decide, mother or the child. It, 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 some people, yeah, to some women that was a death sentence. And to others, you know, for, for a reasonable, um, logical husband, may not be. But that's a decision they have to make. So that's the complication that's troubling me. Because even, it troubles me state by state because the inequity of civil rights would be enormous. Um, the inequity between classes, I think it would create, which is already a, a tense situation, where you'd have white upper middle class people able to do what they want and poor people of different races, whatever, not be able to do what they want because they live in the wrong state. They live, they live in a place they born in the wrong place. And I think that would bring civil disobedience to a point where it, it would even be violent. I can see that. Uh, so that's troubling even the state-by-state -state analysis, but that may not even exist in the future. Now you, you mentioned, I just wanted to clarify things for, for people. You mentioned earlier that um, a, a uh, personhood from the moment of conception would not only make all portion legal, but also many forms of contraception. That's, re that's because most forms of contraception involve um, making the uterus uh, uh, an inappropriate lodging place for a fertilized egg. So the egg is released, the sperm swim up, it fertilizes the egg and gets down to the, you know, gets to the uterus and uh, IUDs, um, the pill. the pill, all make the uterus a, a um, you know, an unfriendly home to a fertilized egg and it passes right through it. Um, a diaphragm would not. Would not. It stops. It stops the, firm, the sperm from getting to the egg. And a condom would not, because that too, the goal of it, but too frequently, I mean, the decision, you know, again, as a, as a means of birth control that protects a woman from getting pregnant, it's a man's decision, really, to use one. And, you know, I think it would be you know, very hard for a woman to force a man to use a condom if he didn't want to. It's also less effective. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, less it's effective. Less it's a lot less effective. So, um, so you'd be leaving, you know, forms of birth control that require preparation, because a, a diaphragm does as well. You know, I expect to be having sex, I'm gonna put in, you know, some spermicidal jelly, I'm gonna put in this diaphragm, right? It's all form of birth control I use. And then, um, <laughs> oops, sorry. And then, uh, <laughs> or, or a condom, you know, you've gotta stop, and you've gotta, you know, not not saying when you talk about responsibility, you're responsible, you stop, and you use those things, or you plan ahead, you know, and you know. People but, 
But people being with the diaphragm, it is a pain. It is, a, it, is, it is an interruption. Yeah. Well, or if you put it in beforehand, thinking you, but you have to worry about it. Time you know, goes by. Time goes by. It's effective. Boy, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 no, here's, here's another point that we just pointed out that it basically the way that we are doing family planning, we put the sole responsibility on the mother. So women has to be the one who's responsible to prevent pregnancy happening. Men can walk free any moment. Mm -hmm. But for us, we have to be the one worried about because we have to be the one worried about what ifs. The bit of consequences. Exactly. Because there are consequences for us. That's why that, that whole family planning thread of people that are against it, it's just, there's that undercurrent of just sexism. Mm -hmm. Is it really a religious belief or is it just women shouldn't sexism? Yeah, yeah, women should just not have that kind of control. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say um, kind of the same thing. There's like this bad stigma around birth control as well because even girls my age are still kind of like, we'll talk about birth control and they'd be like, oh no, I would never do that. Like, I'm way too scared to ask my mom to go on that. And it's just kind of like, that's kind of the miseducation too that we're taught in middle school and high school. I know we talked about this at one of the round tables. Like, I thought it was only me who grew up in a high school. I went to public school too. And it was like, if you have sex, you're gonna get all these STDs that we're gonna show you right now. Don't do it, like if it's a sin if you do it, all this stuff. So it's kind of like what we're taught and then we're not educated about it. And then when we grow up in a world where it's like men are controlling what we can and can't do about our bodies, that's all that we know and that's all that we're taught. And that's what we see on the news today. And so I don't think that that even contributes to the education that we need. If anything, it just kind of degrades women, even in today's society. And also, I know, like, um, at the pharmacy, like, when I go to pick up my birth control, they'll be like, oh, are you here for your birth control? And I'm like, right. yeah, like, my birth control. Like, you can say it out loud. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> they probably think they're so, doing you a favor, though. Right. You're not, you don't want to be embarrassed by it. Right. So <laughs> I think it's just a lot of that has to do with that bad stigma around it. Mm. Also, is exemplified in what we're talking about with kind of this underlying current of sexism uh, as being anti-choice. Is that legislation that you're seeing passed, like on the state levels, um, that purports to be going after you know saving the life of the fetus? A lot of times, will completely shut down all services that are available to them, as opposed to just trying to restrict the one. Yes. The one thing. And so that that's another just example. Follow what you're saying. Um, the whole Planned Parenthood argument. I, I'm sure everyone in the room understands or listens to this. No state, federal money pays for this. It does not. Planned Parenthood is funded by states, federal government, not for performing abortions. Period. That's a fact. Okay. Uh, it goes for birth control, screening for cancer, mammograms. Uh, women's health issues and family planning coming in, getting that education we were talking about before. We go, what do I do? You know that kind of stuff. That's what it goes for. It does not go for that. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing people say, oh, "I don't want my money going for it." It's not. There's actually a law yeah. that was passed. However, the argument would then be to defund the organization that's whether federal money or state money is paying for the abortion. This argument 
will state, we don't, this organization should not exist because it funds abortion. I mean, it, 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 it performs abortions. So it's an immoral organization and therefore it doesn't. So that's, that, that's, that is what people present as a counter argument. Uh, but, but at the same time then, it's, it's what you were saying, what both of you were saying, it, it defunds all, you know, women's health care, just routine uh, mammograms, routine uh, internal exams, routine, you know, uh, pap smears, just routine, routine, routine. It's going to defund all those things and defund access to, as I said before, you know, just yeah. Um, access to uh, um, birth control that if, you know, could prevent the need for abortion. So, so basically what we are hearing at this point is that the entire argument is to eliminate, to limit women health choices. So that they, but not giving women access to health care. Mm -hmm. So they, this is a way of, you want to call it economic control, class control, whatever. But it's a form of control. So You're right, because if it was life, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't make sense. Because women are going to die from cancers that they can be treated for, mm -hmm. or cervical cancers, which are very easily treated in the first right. stages, uh, breast cancers, which are easily, more easily treated in the later stages. Uh, and we're talking about people dying that shouldn't die, mm -hmm. and a huge cost to society and medical care and treatment. So, by defunding Planned Parenthood, you're going to kill a lot more people and you're going to cost a lot more money. So it can't be protection of life that we're caring about. It has to be another matter. Yeah, I, I think this has more to do with than health, too. I mean, think of women's economic empowerment. You know, when, if you're able to postpone when you want to have a child, that has a lot of impact on your career and your employability and your you know, power as an income earner, and I would argue even your political I mean, I think all of this is about a kind of overall oppression and second-class citizenship for women. And to support that, I just want to remind us when Roe versus Wade occurred. Was it like the early 1970s? Correct. 1973? You know, we could think about the decade and a half before that was a surge. I mean, not that there weren't civil rights activism before that or women's rights activism before that, but in the aftermath of World War II, surge in human rights movements, um, African Americans, uh, Hispanics, um, American Indian, AIM, AIM, the American Indian Movement, people, um, people who had served in World War II and came you know, back fighting for democracy, fighting against fascism, and they come back to this country and, oh, same old thing, same old racism, same old, you know, and and even I don't I don't I'm not sure that really spurred the women's movement, but women's you know served in, in the armed forces, served in factories, when the, the, that were emptied by the men. And again, when the men come back, okay, the men get the jobs. Women were expected to leave those industrial jobs. This created, along with the economic boom, I think in the 1950s, which gave more people more economic power. Um, fueled some of these protest movements, the um, civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the women's rights movement. This was the era of these large demonstrations of putting pressure on the government to say, these are the rights we want, these are the rights we demand. It gets passed in that kind of a climate. 
So I would say to people who want to see these rights preserved or renewed, you know, these kinds of protests, demonstrations we've been seeing, that we shouldn't get tired of going to them necessarily. If this is an issue you support, that's the climate. You know, and believe me, no, nobody, there were plenty of people in this country and in the constituencies of Congress who opposed these things. It was the vocal nature of the people who were making these demands that impacted the government. I'm not convinced that the majority, you know, I don't know what the majority of Americans wanted, but a climate of activism and a climate of pressure to, to make certain, you know, I guess I would also say to people who oppose what I believe, you know, put the pressure on there too, you know, fight for what you believe. But, you know, we, can, we can't expect without being vocal and without letting the government and our fellow citizens know how we feel, we can't expect things to go our way. So just wrapping it up, I think Megan and Nitty said is when we're looking at any topic, we have to look at the bigger ramifications of it and why, where the power goes. Law 101, it didn't sound like Megan was talking exactly. Yeah. We had this conversation <laughs> about birth control. And the, we said the biggest point of birth control is women's competition with men, uh, the loss of power in relationships, but not only economically, but on a sexual basis as well. Uh, what we talked about in class is when women's duty was to please men and get pregnant, then that put a whole different bunch of obligations on a man than a man has now. If women now have sex for pleasure, then a man actually has to uh, pleasure. And if he's not any good at it, she'll move on to somebody else. It's like the animal kingdom war, where the female rejects the male, which is usually, you watch a lot of birth too. By the way. It's, really and it's all about these males dancing around, the females are making you know, all the choices there. And so that's what I think the male human is really afraid of is not only loss of power in the, the, the boardroom, but the bedroom as well. So there are really big issues to this. And control, which you folks brought up, is absolutely, it's, it, it's at the core of it. It's more than sex, it's power. And um, that, you're going to have people fighting on both sides to keep power, take it back. And that's what you have to realize what's going on here. Uh, there is a real danger of all of this happening, which we, which we talked about. Um, the pressure that could be put on is on the senators who will be the ones who confirm or don't confirm. Uh, if the, right now it's 52-48, if that changes to more democratic, uh, even 51-49, that changes everything. That this is a different discussion. The next election, 2018, is going to be enormous because if the Senate becomes democratic even by one vote, then this will not happen. But if it remains the way it is now, it will happen. Are you confident that voting will be on those partisan lines absolutely? Pretty much so. Okay. So that's that election, you talked about the election, Barbara. The election coming up in 2018 is critical in, in every way. Um, anyone want any final comment that you would like to make? Just to add 
one more comment about what you said about elections. It's not just the Congress, the Senate, and the President. It's also your local elections. Yeah, governor. Huh? Your governor. Governor, your, your state congressperson, and your state senator, they have, they, they matter as well because they um, pass the state laws. And also, you know, if you wanted to change, if you want to change, sometimes you have to do it. Get in the action, uh, get in the game, and be part of it. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it.